welcome to Inside Rugby League, the podcast brought to you by the Yorkshire Evening Post. I'm Richard Byram, and joining me on the line as usual again this week is my colleague Peter Smith. Peter, as you'll know, is the Yorkshire Evening Post Chief Rugby League Writer, and he also writes match reports and stories for our sister paper, the Yorkshire Post. It was a busy weekend for Peter down at Wembley, where he saw one of our teams win and one lose. But I think that old cliche, Peter, Rugby League was the winner after the games at the weekend. <laughs> yeah, well, I think we, we said, didn't we, that it needed to be a good weekend with a couple of good games and a decent crowd in just to cheer everybody up, really. And I certainly got that. I really enjoyed the 1895 Cup final, which was a credit to, to the championship, really, and to both teams um, who put an awful lot of effort in to getting the game on. There was all sorts of uh, chaos and confusion in the, the build-up with Featherston, first of all, having some players and the coach, James Webster, ruled out after they failed COVID tests. Um, they were given the all-clear on um, on Friday and then York had some failed tests. So we didn't know actually until Saturday morning the game was going to be on. There were Some of the Featherston players only came out of isolation on on the day of the game um, the captain James Lockwood travelled with the team from Featherston to London and then immediately had to get off the team coach onto the tube to King's Cross back up north because um, because his wife was uh, was going into labour then the baby didn't arrive so he travelled back down on on Saturday morning very early Saturday morning I think a 5.30 train um, so it was it was um, one of those games where everything that that could um, possibly happen to to um, try and prevent the game did, but um, they got it on in really fiercely hot conditions, and it was an absolute cracker. Forty-one thirty-four. I thought the best team won, but York um, certainly gave a very good account of themselves. And to be honest, it was probably a, a closer contest than if Ferguson had been at full strength. Um, there were some remarkable stories in the Featherston uh, squad. Joe Summers, for example, made his debut uh, at Wembley, came off the bench with a, a couple of minutes to go, and that was the first time he played a professional game. So uh, so he's going to remember that. Um, the kid, Jacob Doyle, who scored a couple of tries, it's only his second professional game. Um, Craig Hall, the, the veteran who'd just come out of isolation, before the match, he was man of the match. Um, really good, really good occasion. Enjoyed by both sets of fans and by the neutral fans. And um, I think it must have looked really good on television as well. So thoroughly enjoyable occasion. Um, I'll talk about the Challenge Cup final in a minute. What did you make of the, uh, the 1895 Cup, Rich? Yeah, I really enjoyed it. Um, I'll be honest, I had a few connectivity problems. It was on the red button, wasn't it? And... Uh... It kept sticking and spinning and spooling as as they sometimes do. I don't really know what the problem was, but anyway, I managed to see most of the game, and and like yourself, I really enjoyed it. I thought both teams were a credit to themselves and their clubs, and uh, you know, great to see fans from some different clubs at Wembley. Uh, and I think that's one of the beauties of the eighteen ninety five Cup, isn't it? It does give fans of. Uh, not traditionals are the wrong word, but you know, fans, clubs that don't often get to Wembley, and uh, I thought both clubs made the most of it. I mean, York scored thirty-four points at Wembley and lost. That that must be a very rare thing. 
And, uh, you know, as you say, Featherstone probably with you know, a weakened team, shall we say, uh, were a lot closer to York then. And uh, I think that made for a much better game. But uh, one of the things I felt about it as well was that um, they, they played a, a more traditional game of rugby league, perhaps the, the game that was played, you know, before Super League, you know, I think sometimes in the modern game now you get two lines of guys running each other, bish, bash, bosh. And I'm not saying it's not skillful in that, but, you know, the, the players were that, were that bit smaller and, you know, had to use a bit more guile and craft. And and as you say, there were there's some great stories, uh, you know, throughout both camps and, you know, credit to both teams for actually getting the game on. I was pleased for Paul March, the old wakey player, uh, who stepped into the breach in the absence of James Webster and uh, managed to get uh, them over the line. And I think, you know, again, a great advert for the game and and I really enjoyed it. It looked like one bit that Featherstone were going to run away with it, but then York came back strongly. Uh, And in in the end, only a few points in it. Featherstone were the deserved winners and uh, it was good to see their fans down there. And uh, let's hope that you know this competition now can go from strength to strength, and other teams in those divisions will have seen the day out that Featherstone and York had, and thought we, you know, we fancy a bit of that ourselves. Uh, you know, let's go for that in the future. Maybe clubs like Batley and Dewsbury, who maybe not have a realistic chance of getting into Super League, but certainly got a good chance of, of getting to Wembley in that competition. Well, Batley were semi-finalists the last time the competition was played which is a couple of years ago I covered their game actually their semi-final at Sheffield and, and they were well beaten unfortunately but yeah it gives it gives clubs who otherwise have got virtually no chance of getting there a realistic um, opportunity of playing at Wembley which is a, a fantastic thing for, for lower division coaches, players and fans talking to some of the players during the week the, the more experienced ones were saying, well, you know, at, at my stage of my career, I've, I've, I'm playing in the championship and I never thought I'd got to play at Wembley. And I think it's, I think it's great for them. And you, you have to credit the um, the commitment and the fitness from both teams, both part-time teams. Um, I was at Wembley on Friday when the teams from the four competing teams did their usual... Um, pre-final what we call it a walkabout um, yeah. Cass and Saints the Challenge Cup final teams both had a captain's run actually trained on the pitch and the other two teams trained before earlier in the day and then travelled down to Wembley and, and just sort of had a got a feel for the stadium but it was absolutely sweltering um, unbearably hot on pitch side you know you, you see reports that say oh well the temperature was 10 degrees higher on pitch side and you, you sort of find that hard to grasp but it with the sun beating down and no cover it really was incredibly hot and for them to produce that sort of spectacle um, I think is, is credit to them particularly to, to part time players yeah. um, also to to the teams that played in the um, Challenge Cup final Cass and Saints you could see I think that, that the heat took its toll um, in the second half on Cass, who, who were probably lacking a bit of match practice. But they, they gave a good account of themselves. I don't think they should reproach themselves at all for, 
for the performance they put on. I know a lot of Cast fans are obviously deeply disappointed as you would be after a, a cup final defeat. That's their third major final of the summer era and the third defeat. Um, but they were in front at half-time. A, a big decision went against them and they could never quite get a, strength, um, a foothold in the game after that. I thought the way they played in the first half was, was tremendous and they certainly had the Saints rattled. Um, at half-time, I, I thought if they could maintain the composure that they would win, um, they didn't quite do that. It was obviously a, a big, very controversial decision which went against them, which was James Roby's try right at the start of the second half, which could have been disallowed for for various reasons. Um, the ref on field gave it, and it was one of those where I think if, if he'd said no try, then the video referee would probably have backed that up. But the decision went against them, and I think Cass lost a little bit of composure after that, and Saints dominated the second half. I thought they were the better team overall and, and deserved to win. But the, the final margin, 26-12, flattered Saints a little bit, I thought. Um, and and Cass certainly gave a good account of themselves. So there was a little bit of consolation in that nine levels, the fullback, uh, his second successive losing Lundley. Um, he was named man of the match, thoroughly deserved, I thought. I, he got my vote um, during the game. Um, so that's a, a little bit of a consolation. It's not often it goes to the uh, to a player on the losing side. You have to play particularly well to do that, and, and he certainly did. Um, shame for Daniel Powell. I think we all wanted Daniel Powell. Everyone outside St Helens probably wanted Daniel Powell to um, to go out of Castleford as a winner. They, I suppose, could still do it in the um, the grand final. I think that's unlikely the way things are. At the moment, um, it's, it's a shame they couldn't give him the, the fairy tale ending. But they certainly played a, a full part in what was a, an enthralling, I thought, Challenge Cup final. Yes, I thought it was an excellent game. Um, weather up here was very hot as well. But I don't think it was as hot as down in London. And, uh, you know, a really enjoyable game. And certainly in the first half, Castleford didn't look like a team who'd had all those issues in the build-up with COVID and injuries and games being called off and very little match practice. I think they threw everything at Saints and obviously thought that they were trying to, uh, you know, get through perhaps on adrenaline alone at times. And uh, as you say, Niall Levels, what a superb signing he's been. We, we talked about him when he signed for Cass and we're quite surprised that I think that he, he came to Cass and said that he was exactly the sort of player that Daryl could improve. And I think, he, as we say, already a great player, but you could see there at the, at the weekend that he stepped up again at Cass. And, uh, you know, the thing that struck me was how come nobody else was in for him, really? I think we, we spoke about that before as well, that, uh, you know, player like that coming on the market and... Uh, you would have thought one of the big guns in England or Australia would be after him. I wouldn't be surprised if a certain chap at Warrington next season might come back for him at some stage, uh, even though he's just signed a new three-year contract, hasn't he? But uh, I'd imagine that the big yeah, that will have made the big club sit up and take notice. <clears throat> Excuse me. But yeah, a game that I really enjoyed. Um, I thought that Jenny, Jesse Senny Lafau was absolutely superb as well, particularly in the first half. Uh, he seemed to be involved in just about every tackle that Castleford made, either as first, second or third man. And uh, 
I didn't think he deserved to be on the losing side either. I thought he was absolutely brilliant. Um, but, you know, overall, there's no doubting that Saints deserve to win. Uh, the other try as well, I felt, was uh, I was watching some highlights again yesterday of the game and uh, Kyle Amos, it, it was impossible really to tell that he'd got that ball down from whichever angle he showed it at. And I did feel for Chris Kendall in a way that, you know, being given the fa- the pass upstairs, like the hospital pass, you sort it out, mate, I'm not too sure, but I think it was a try and really nobody could tell whether that was a try or not, whether he'd got the ball down, whether there were arms underneath it or whatever. And, uh, you know, I, th- I thought that that was a tough call as well on Cass. Um, the other one was a, a strange one, really, wasn't it, with uh, Regan Grace kind of jumping out of play and back in and batting the ball back in midair. It's it's one of those kind of once-in-a-lifetime things. You, you wouldn't see that many times in a lifetime watching rugby league, I don't think. And uh, I'm not surprised there wasn't a bit of confusion. And of the two, personally speaking... Uh, I thought that that was probably a, a fairer call than the other one. And uh, really the other one, to me, the Amar one, should have gone upstairs as no try on the field. And the, the video ref perhaps then would have said, well, I can't see either. So, you know, we're not going to give it. But um, anyway, you know, that that's the things in cup finals, isn't it? That, they're the things that we'll have to talk about afterwards. Unfortunately for us and for you in particular, who tipped Cass all along, uh, we didn't get the result. <laughs> Anyone going to mention that? Yeah, <laughs> we didn't get the result that we wanted. But uh, you know, they say that both teams could be proud of themselves in that heat, and it was a shame that Daryl won't go out with the Challenge Cup. The players afterwards were talking about now targeting uh, the playoffs and the Grand Final, but uh, I think they might have left themselves a little bit too much to do there. I think uh, some of the teams higher up the table. Probably a bit stronger than Cass, and I think that was probably their best chance of a trophy this season. But I'd be happy to be proved wrong uh, if it meant that Daryl went out on a high. Yeah, you, you know what? Um, what I think happened with the the Carl Amor decision is probably the the ref on the field, Liam, or m- might have been swayed by Saints' reaction, which was a the Saints player's reaction was very much. Well done. That's a try. No doubt about it. Yeah. And I think that I think that you know that that might have swayed him a little bit because it was difficult to see. It was one of those that could have gone could have gone either way. Um, I I thought it was interesting. You know that um, the semi-finals played back to back. One didn't have a video referee, which was the uh, the eighteen ninety five cup, and one did. And I I thought. Seeing them back to back like that, it showed uh, the flaws in the video referee system, in my opinion. There was an incident in the um, the 1895 Cup when York scored a try to get back level, and on the big screen, there was a big screen, but no um, no video referee. It looked like the York player had dropped the ball. Yeah. There was a sort of a collective gasp from the crowd when it was uh, when it was showed again, but there was no there was no video referee. The ref made an on field call. Um, he obviously gave it as as he saw it at the time. Um, the decision was made, and everybody just got on with it and, and more or less forgot about it. Whereas now we're still talking about those two um, controversial video referee decisions in the Challenge Cup final. Maybe some of that 
is due to the fact that um, Featherstone won regardless of, of that, um, that what, what Blackpool call um, or a mistake by the referee. Obviously, everybody makes mistakes um, now and again. But I, I just, the video referee, it just, I think it, it doesn't really, the current system, the way it's used, doesn't really um, achieve its purpose. In my opinion, it often creates more controversy than, than it's designed to um, to eradicate. The, in the game without the video referee, the ref made the decision and everybody just got on with it and people had forgotten about it in five minutes later. And I think that's the better way to go, really. If you, if you can have video referee decisions, they've got to be able to completely eradicate any controversy and they can't do that. The, the system where the ref has to make an on-field call and then pass it up and supposedly the video referee needs clear evidence to overturn that. It just doesn't work, in my opinion. I I would I'd scrap it personally, I don't bother with the video referee. Or if we are gonna use it, I'd just use it for um for in goal situations which would obviously bring the, the aim all into play, but not the um not the Roby try. I'd I'd just leave the decisions to the on-field, um, to the on-field officials, and if they get them wrong, we've just got to accept that mistakes are made and everybody moves on. But it's um, like you say, it's tough for Chris Kendall because he had to make a decision one way or the other, and it was a guess either way. Realistically, yeah. as it was from from Liam Moore, it's one of those tough situations. But um, in a match. In a Super League match, an on-televised game, the ref would have given the decision and everyone would have gotten with it either it had been either Kevin held up and, um, and play the ball 10 metres out or either given a try and there'd, there'd have been no controversy over it. And, but I, I just, at the moment, I just failed to see really what the, the video referee brings to the game. No, I think, well, again, we've spoken many times on here about it and, and, and I agree with you that you've really summed up in a nutshell my own view on on the video referee in terms of, um, you know, a try that's given at Wigan Saints on a Friday night in front of the TV might not be given Wakefield Salford at Bellevue on a Sunday afternoon because they haven't got infinite camera angles. The referee gets one look and says it's a try, get, I'm in charge, get on with the game, or your foot was in touch, according to the touch judge, and there's no other no other look at it, so therefore it isn't a try or whatever. And even at Wembley, with all those cameras and all those angles and all that technology, still nobody could prove one way or the other whether AMR had got the ball down because there were that many bodies piled in and on top. And I think you're right, you know, Kyle AMR was obviously so thrilled at scoring at Wembley that, you know, he had a massive reaction, didn't he? And all his teammates were really pleased that he'd scored as well. Um, and, and as you say, that may have put the seed in the referee's mind. Well, he seemed certain that he got it down, but then the cast players seemed equally certain that he hadn't. And, you know, in the end, with the video referee, in my opinion, either let the video referee do everything and just have the referee on the field as an arbiter who says that was a forward pass or that was a, you know, a punch in the mouth and a yellow card or a red card or whatever, and just leave everything else to the video referee, you know, and say, you know, every every try, you know, we go straight to the video referee, was it a try, right, you can award it on the field or whatever, or 
we go back to the old way, which I think is better, and which, as you highlighted in the Featherstone game, uh, you know, maybe a mistake was made, maybe the ball did go slightly forward or whatever, but in the referee's opinion, in that single moment, he thought it was a try, and that's the end of it, you know. And, you know, again, it does create debate and uh, pros and cons, and I'm sure with television having such a big role and paying so much money, not just in rugby league, but in all sports now, uh, I, I can't see that it's going to go away anytime soon. And if if anything, uh, as we've seen in football, rugby union, cricket, uh, the influence of the video referee, umpire, touch judge or whatever is getting greater and greater. And, and the actual person that's supposed to be in charge seems to have less and less actual authority. Um, and, and as you say, this unsatisfactory situation where the referee on the field gives a try and then it gives the man upstairs no get out, does it, either. You know, it's like, well, I can't see any reason why. I, I can't see anything like in the AMR try. Uh, you know, I can't see anything. But I'm going to have to give it because, in your opinion, it was a try and, you know, that's unsatisfactory as well. But I say I have a feeling that... Uh, it will go more down the path of technology and as many people getting involved as possible. And in the end, the referee will just be some kind of policeman almost, <laughs> making sure that the two sides stick within the bounds of the laws and the rules and uh, everything else will be left to the cameras and the directors and the video ref. But again, I'm, I'm sure that's something we'll come back to as the season goes on because there doesn't seem to be a week goes by where there isn't some kind of controversy created by something that was supposed to clear up the controversy, uh, you know, yeah. basically. So uh, just moving on then from, from the cup finals and to say well done to all four teams involved. It was a cracking weekend and a, and a great advert for the sport, just what the sport needed after the... Uh, the trauma's on and off the field of the last 18 months. It was a great shot in the arm and hopefully next year, again, you know, we'll get a full Wembley and, uh, and you know, two, maybe some more local representation in both finals. Uh, but for now, if we just move on and a big signing for Leeds Rhinos this weekend, Peter, a bit of a coup for them. Uh, Aidan Caesar moving from Huddersfield down the M62 to Headingley. Yeah, I think that's a good signing. It's one that They've been um, after for for a little while. They, it's well known that they've been looking for a, another playmaker to play alongside Luke Gale next season with Rob Louis, the current first choice standoff, although he's been injured most of the season. He's going home at the end of um, the current campaign. Caesar's a quality player. He was Man of Steel nominee last year in his first season with Huddersfield. Had a few injury problems this year, but there's no doubt about his ability. Got a tremendous kicking game. Interesting to see how the dynamic between him and Luke Gale works. But he's just what Leeds have been looking for. And, and I think it's a signing that will be welcomed by um, by most Rhinos fans. It's the second major signing for next season after James Bentley, the St. Helens second lower, who's also a very good addition. So I think things are, are looking up for Rhinos squad for next year and um, it'll be interesting to see how the two of them fit into the current squad I think there'll be some more changes to that there's almost certainly going to be some players leaving but Leeds with the youngsters that have come through this year and have had a taste 
of Super League and have, have shown up very well in it. The um, the basis of a of a good squad, I think, is there, particularly up front. I think Leeds back already is as good as anybody in the competition, really, when they've got everybody out there. And um, that certainly gives them something to build on, I think. Yeah, I think it's a great signing for Leeds. It was rumoured a week or so ago, wasn't it, that Leeds were interested in signing him. And I know Huddersfield have had various struggles this season with COVID and injuries and a new coach coming in. But I think as well, the fact that Caesar obviously is a headline writer's dream as well for the likes of myself with his surname. Um, you know, he he's obviously been sorely missed by Huddersfield this year as well. You know, the fact that he hasn't been playing um, he's the guy who gets them around the field and I remember a few years ago he used to cover Halifax Rugby League and you'll remember him well Peter Andrew Dunerman who played for Halifax and then Leeds signed him and he he went on to have a great impact at Headingley didn't he Having, I mean he was superb at Halifax but he went up a level again then I, I thought of him when I saw that Caesar had signed for Leeds because you just think in a kind of uh, bigger Bigger club, which Leeds obviously are, and uh, bigger crowds and, and more quality players around him. You know, you could see Caesar stepping up again and having a real influence on Leeds, uh, particularly working alongside Luke Gale, as you say. And uh, it's good as well, obviously, that from the British game's point of view, that we've kept a player of that quality in it. You know, that pe- people do want to see, you know, rival fans and Leeds fans too. So I think it'd be. Uh, a good signing for Leeds as long as he stays uh, injury free, uh, like all players. And I'm looking forward to seeing how he goes. And just on to the, the weekend, Peter, again, as we've said a few times recently, with issues with COVID and injuries, uh, games are being called off perhaps after we've recorded this show and people are listening later in the week. And uh, already this week, uh, Lee's game has fallen, hasn't it, against Warrington to COVID. And our three teams this week, uh, Leeds playing Salford and Wigan, hosting Wakefield on Friday, and then Castleford going out to Catalans on Saturday. But uh, I believe there could be issues there. Well, Cast have had some failed tests. Yeah, at the moment, not enough to allow them to call for the game be postponed so as we're speaking it seems like it'll be on but um, this, these things change so quickly we'll have to just wait and see that's the case with every game every week unfortunately yeah. now it's just impossible to um, to plan ahead it's a it's a tough game for Cass isn't it realistically straight after Wembley to go to the south of France in that heat I was speaking to a, a Rhinos player who was down there last Friday obviously they lost to Catalans wilted in the second half of their game and he said it was the, the toughest conditions in terms of heat and humidity he'd ever played in. Um, so it Cass having been through that a sapping game at Wembley just a week before it's gonna it's gonna be difficult for them. Yeah. But they need to start picking up some league wins so let's hope they can give a good account of themselves and, and get the game on. Catalans will lose at some point. They've um, they flirted with it against Leeds, and with a better team for, for two successive first halves against them, 18-8 and 18-2 up, and couldn't hang on either time. I thought 
Kessel and the second half of the shows what a good side they are. But you know, the first half, the way Leeds attack them, also highlights some vulnerabilities. So they are a team that can be beaten if you play well against them, but I think it's a big, a big ask for Cast this week. Leeds against Salford, big game on Friday night at Headingley. Leeds need to get back to winning ways after those two defeats to the French team. They have a very good record against Salford and beat them convincingly 38-12 just um, less than a month ago. So you'd expect Leeds to win that one. I'm hearing um, we've not had a squad, a Leeds squad yet, but I'm hearing that they'll be getting quite a few key players back this week. You would hope that they'd be too strong for Salford. Although Salford, since Leeds beat them, have, um, have won successive games and, and are beginning to show a little bit of little bit of form. Um, they put 70 points on Castleford, admittedly, second-string Castleford team, a couple of weeks ago, and that's a decent effort, whoever the opposition is there. The good win against your team, Mikey, last week, but I think Leeds will, will probably be too strong for them. And Wakey obviously have got a lot of um, injury problems and other problems going into their game at Wigan. Wigan had that little losing run, I think, the last four games on the trot. But now they seem to have overcome that with a couple of wins over Huddersfield and then beat. Um, I think at home they'll probably be too strong for um, for Wakefield. But Wakefield beat them a couple of weeks ago, didn't they, at Bellevue in, yeah. in good style. And um, they could go into it with with um, certainly boosted by that but the pressure's probably off Wakefield realistically they're not going to get relegated this year um, clearly Lee who we're in mid-July now or, or getting towards late July and um, Lee still haven't got a point so they're, they're going to go down um, so the pressure's off Wakefield they've got some players there who've got an opportunity to earn a new deal or to show Chris Chester that they were the other first team place and I think it's one of those games where they can just just go and, and have a good crack and see what happens Yeah I mean Wakey were again they were another team they were, they were leading was it 14-0 against Salford and then the home side came back Wakey just couldn't hold on but as you rightly say they have had some issues uh, with injuries and Covid but Chris Chester and Michael Carter have been adamant that Wakefield will fulfil their games even if they have to play uh, young academy players they're determined to they had a good record last year didn't they when Covid was on of of playing games and they're determined to fulfil the fixtures uh, first and foremost and uh, then the result is a secondary concern obviously they're looking to win those games but uh, as you say maybe this week it might be a step too far against Wigan unfortunately and it was interesting to see as well that Michael Carter and Chris Chester uh, had their say after on the RFL disciplinary after the discussions we had last week and uh, the fact that uh, Peter Matauti's brother was missing the Wembley game for Saints because he'd been banned for an incident in the Wakefield game and uh, both Michael Carter and Chris Chester were very critical of that decision and rightly so. Um, and as you say though, uh, Wakefield going well um, I don't like to criticise fellow scribes because I've made enough ricks in my time myself, but somebody said that, that that win should take Salford closer to safety, but I think, as you say, Salford and Wakefield are safe now. It's just 
inconceivable to see that Lee could overhaul either of those or indeed Huddersfield despite all Huddersfield's problems uh, unfortunately for Lee and uh, I say I would agree with you that Leeds will be too strong for Salford this week even though the Red Devils have been in form I think Leeds have shown in patches even in the games they've lost recently that, uh, that they're a good team and players, key players coming back can only make them stronger and uh, I don't fancy poor old Castle's chances down at Catalans. I think it'd be hard enough anyway on any given week, but a week after a cup final and where really they did put their bodies on the line uh, for the full 80 uh, in, in sapping heat again and then to go down there again a week later uh, seems like mission impossible. But again, you just never know. That's why we all fall apart because one team invariably proves us wrong. Um, during the round of fixtures and the main thing is let's hope that all three games can go ahead you know that uh, all three teams are able to or all six teams are able to field sides and get the games on and I think on that note people call it a draw there for this week and thanks as usual for all your comments just my weekly reminder you can get the very latest rugby league news from Peter's Twitter feed at Peter Smith YEP or my own at Richard Byron YEP or the generic at YP Sport and at YEP Sports Desk. You can also get the very latest news from YorkshireEveningPost.co.uk where this and previous podcasts are available and they're also available on Anchor, Spotify, Google, Apple and other platforms. So again, all that's left for me to do is thank you all for listening. Thanks to Peter for his comments and we'll be back soon.